The opinions expressed on this program may be considered offensive, crude, or politically incorrect. They are merely those of the speakers and not of the affiliates and or sponsors. Welcome to the second episode of the Multiple Perspectives Podcast. Coming up on today's episode, the Islamic State, West African Ebola outbreak, and the pros and cons of social networking. I'm your host, Kay, and sitting alongside with me this week, as always, is social networking extraordinaire, Joe. Hello. How's it going this week, Joe? I'm doing fine, man. It's getting busy. It is getting busy. It's uh, it's getting hot for some reason. Although <laughs> we were at the dog days of summer. <laughs> days of oh, summer yeah, is getting hotter. Yeah, the dog days of summer. Is uh, is that even the right term? I don't know. Is it the cat days? Uh, I don't know day. about that. Dog days is like the, the last days of summer. Yeah. But uh, it is getting hot for some reason here in uh, in the 408. Who said the 408? <laughs> <laughs> so what's been going on in the in the news recently? I You know, every time I turn on the TV now, it's uh, ALS. Ice Bucket Challenge, and ISIS. Yeah. That's all I hear about now. Abbreviations. Yeah. <laughs> abbreviations that nobody <laughs> knows yeah. what stands for. Well, let's educate the listeners. ISIS stands for... The Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Formerly, though. Apparently, that's what Wikipedia says. I don't know how much we should trust Wikipedia. I want to go off on a, on a tangent rant here that uh, Wikipedia is pretty pretty credible sometimes. Most of the time, I would say, right? I say... It's, it's not easy to change something and leave it. Yeah, but... um. Just be careful with it. You you, you want to go down to sources and then check those out. I think it's right. a good place to start off just to check out a general idea. Yeah. But if I were a professor, I wouldn't uh, forbid the entire use of Wikipedia. I use it's it's a gateway drug. Is it to the proper sources to get addicted? Yeah, to uh, education. Just use uh, scholarly peer review journals. Well, that's what you're supposed to use. You're supposed but, to uh, use a, if if that's not required, Wikipedia it is. According to a New York Times article. Titled, ISIS said to kill 150 Syrian captives in two days, videotaping the horror by Ben Hubbard. So pretty much ISIS took Syrian soldiers and marched them across the desert with their shirts off, just with their underwear. And they marched them around and videotaped, killing them, stabbing them, shooting them. So these videos were they actually released to the U.S. media? Because isn't that their whole goal to, to scare people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fear tactics. But they're not really releasing the tapes, are they? Uh, I think there was a... I only saw a still. I didn't see a video. For example, the, the James Foley beheading, which everyone knows about by now. Uh, they claim that there's a video in existence of the actual beheading, but no one has seen that. No one in the U.S., at least. The only thing that's been released is the first few uh, seconds of the beheading, which is alleged to be fake anyways. It's, it's hard to tell which is fake or real now these days. So this whole mass killing, uh, it was a fear tactic, a scare tactic. So their whole goal is for other people to see this and then what? And, and it's, just, it's just telling them, watch out for us. This is what we can do to you. They're a, they're a huge gang. Pretty much they're like a big gang mentality. You see gang members today, they go on YouTube and they, they want to show how tough they are. Yeah, with all the bills and all the all the knives. And money, the money. <laughs> the guns, drugs they have. This is the modern uh, terrorist gangster equivalent. Yeah, they, they have their own motto, gang colors and everything. Which put in perspective... They're too brutal for Al-Qaeda, apparently. 
Yeah, that's crazy, right? That's that's just to put it in perspective. It's like when Hitler said to the Japanese that what they were doing was more brutal than what they did. Now, the thing with this is people uh, who are in the gang, if you will, people who are in ISIS membership, they, they're actually doing interviews with uh, the media. But yeah, that's yeah, what's that's, crazy. That's what's crazy. They're openly saying what they're doing, but they're just not giving their name away, maybe not their face. Yeah. They're openly saying that uh, this is what we did, this is why we did it, so don't do anything to us. They have a really good marketing campaign leader. It seems like they're trained in, in how, to, how to spread their news and how to spread their message. It's, uh, it's modern day technology and social networking. Social networking. Re- regarding terrorist issues like this. <laughs> so let's move along to New York Times, uh, where there's a article that reads, Ebola could strike 20,000, World Health Agency says, written by Nick Cumming Bruce and Alan Cowell. It says that the, the World Health Organization said on Thursday that the Ebola epidemic was accelerating and could afflict more than 20,000 people. That's almost seven times the current number of reported cases. What's happening is fatalities are rising once again, and the actual number of cases may be two to four times higher than currently reported. So the total cases as of last Thursday was uh, 3,069 with uh, 1,552 deaths in four West African countries. That's Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Nigeria. The assessment from from WHO, they're saying that uh, what can stop the spread is something like a roadmap. They're going to try to stop the transmission of Ebola within nine months. The plan is likely to cost half a billion dollars over the next six months. But Bruce Iward is saying that we have to be realistic. There is uncertainty. It's just going to take uh, too many people and too much time and it's too much money to actually create a roadmap to stop the spread of this disease because uh, the, the places that are already affected, they're, they're too full to take new patients. So they're trying to expand to spread more treatments. It's like, um, you know, those uh, zombie movies. Yeah, I know the zombie movies. Uh, they show, like in a the movie, they show a map of, of, the, of the disease spreading. Yeah. It's kind of like the same thing. And they want to they wanna contain the disease in the areas that are... Well, don't look at it happen. in a point of view as, you know, zombie. Look at it in a point of view as epidemic. Yeah. It's yeah, the same epidemic. issue. Same, same It's thing. the same exact issue. Doctors Without Borders, they're battling the disease in the region and they're welcoming the roadmap idea, but they're saying it's a false sense of hope. It's telling the African citizens that... This roadmap is going gonna, is gonna to save them, but it's really just a tactic to, to try to contain Ebola. Now, the problem over there with, uh, with the outbreak is that their health conditions are a lot lower than the U.S. health conditions because uh, their health systems are severely compromised. There are significant deficits in capacity and rampant fear. Mr. Iward says that Executing this roadmap would take at least 750 international and 12,000 local health workers. A lot of the health workers who are actually helping people out for the treatment of Ebola are getting sick because they're pretty much exposed to it. Every it's just time. like the movies. <laughs> just like the movies. <laughs> and, and, and two, in the article, it states that those who are helping the people out don't get enough rest because there's so many people Which makes in. them even more vulnerable to Ebola. Yeah, because their immune system is compromised. You know, when you lose sleep, you guess, you get, yeah, it's easier to get the flu or you get it's easier the to get a cold. Yeah. You know? Let's move along to, uh, let's get a little scary here. An article from NBC News by Maggie Fox writes, where did Ebola come from? Likely one person. Now, it says that the West African variant can be traced genetically to a single introduction, perhaps a person infected by a bat. And it's definitely spread by people, not by animals, repeatedly infecting people. 
The researchers are saying that uh, they can see it entering different villages, uh, said by Party Sebeti. And all the sequences are very similar, suggesting it came from a common source. Now, uh, virologist Robert Gary of Tulane University uh, is one of the researchers on the report. So there was a healer who was treating patients across the border in Guinea where an outbreak of Ebola had started in February. Her patients went to her funeral because, and 14 people became infected as they prepared and buried the healer's body. One of the ladies was actually a 20-something-year-old woman who was pregnant, and she lost the baby, but medical care at, uh, at one of the hospitals there saved her life. Now, they took genetic sequences from her, her body. Good thing about this is U.S. officials are, are saying that they're going to start the first human trials of the next new uh, vaccine, uh, the first in a series of small safety tests. Now, they're saying that the current outbreak can't be fought with a new vaccine because it must be fought with the old-fashioned methods of quick diagnosis, quarantine, and isolation. Whatever they develop at this point after, you can't use it to treat the, the current outbreak because what happens is when it moves from body to body, it mutates yeah. little by little. Biology 101. Biology 101. Robert Gary says that it's going to change. The virus uh, is going to change because a human isn't a bat. The longer this virus is allowed to propagate human to human, the more it's going to adapt from human to human. Because I, I guess bats are smaller reservoirs, so, so the virus doesn't change that much. But with humans, it's going to keep changing. So every vaccine that we create, it's going to be used to treat maybe the new strain, but not the old strain. Yeah, or it's, it's only going to be a temporary solution. So what's, what's the, the permanent solution to this? Don't say kill everybody. No, the disease has been around for so long. It's only for our bodies to adapt to them. So uh, whoever dies off, just let them die off? No, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying science can only go so far in trying to help people with uh, medical uh, issues like, like sickness. But eventually, our bodies will adapt to the current strand of Ebola. Well, what's happening is most people are dying before their body adapts. Yeah, but those who survive and pass down their genes, they're going to be... So you're saying natural selection. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the science. I mean, well, what, are, what are we going to do? I mean, scientists and, and, and those in the lab, they're, they're trying to find a solution. That's in regards to what we can do to cure people. What, what can we do to contain the virus at this point? Don't let anybody leave their house. So it's going to be it's going to be a police state, basically. In in <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, in, in, in a movie, um, did you watch The Planet of the Apes? Yeah, I did not. But I saw, uh, what was the zombie film with Brad Pitt? Um, what was that one? I saw that World, one. World War Z. Yeah, yeah. similar thing. So. Yeah, similar thing. Um, containment. Are, are you going to put them in a box, a glass box? It's could just, have like Ebola colonies. Yeah, but then who would take care of each other? <laughs> Ebola People infected with Ebola already, apparently. Oh, That's it. There, there's no, I, I can't think of a, an ethical solution to this. Yeah, Is there yeah. even a solution? I mean, this, this Ebola strain has probably reached America already. We're not affected by it like West Africa because we have proper health systems. Maybe that's the answer. Um, proper health systems? Well, not, not just proper health uh, systems. It's to increase the standard of living it with, for everybody around the world. Like if everybody was... Yeah, that solves it for the future. But what about people affected right now? They're, they're dead is what you're saying. Well, you know, See, they, it's they can a, try the vaccines. Uh, but Once you put morals into it, it's kind of hard. To, to balance that with science. Yeah, is, is, it, is it even moral to uh, test like a new vaccine on people who are infected? It's, like an, it's not in most cases, but what other choice would they have? Yeah, I think just as long as the, the, the patient is willing to take the uh, new test. Now, the, the interesting thing I, I thought about this was every, every research study they're doing, all the data 
they're actually posting it online and making it public. And uh, Sabeti's team is actually saying, we got to crowdsource the epidemic. This is a frightening situation and we need to work together. All the data they've collected and all the things they've concluded, they posted it online. So let's say if you're just some amateur uh, researcher, amateur scientist, you can go on that website, look at it, and maybe you know something more than the research team does. You could email them, call them, give them some intel. They use some uh, social networking Social networking, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that's one pro to social networking, which we're going to be talking about uh, later on, because social networking is a big, big thing now for, uh, especially the youth. Yeah, the youth. And I've seen a lot of adults use it now. Too. Yeah, only because the youth uses it. Yeah. Now, when when did social networking start? Do you remember? Is right, the what, first? You know, social networking started the first time another human being. Saw exactly. Another one. Exactly. I guess we're talking social networking in regards to uh, modern technology. Yeah. With computers, phones, smartphones, whatever it is. Well, what's the first social network you remember besides MySpace? I think it was Zanga for me. Well, I remember uh, Friendster. Yeah, friends. I remember that. Some <laughs> were some, you on that? No, I wasn't on that. I was too young. Uh, some some of my relatives were on it, but I don't remember. Um, we we had like school 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 like we had a school website, right? I don't consider that social. I, I, that's more academic networking. Uh, academic networking. So uh, I don't know. It's it's really loosely defined. It's really open to interpretation. But we're talking specifically about social networking in the technology age. Let's cut to break here. Once we get back, we're gonna open up this week's topic of social networking. You're listening to Multiple Perspectives Podcast. Stay tuned. Like we were saying, social networking is a big, big thing now because uh, people are always on their phones. They're always on Twitter. Facebook's allegedly dying. Allegedly. I still see uh, heavy use. Yeah, but I guess it's dying with the younger people. Yeah, people who are younger than us. A lot a lot of businesses and a lot of bands are still using Facebook. Uh, it's like Twitter and Instagram in one. Yeah, so yeah, just longer, longer characters. Yeah, because on Twitter, you're limited to, what, 150 characters? How do you communicate with someone like that? Very concise. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, you're limited to a picture and then like 100 characters. You can't really communicate with someone like that. And on Snapchat, you're limited to one picture in like a sentence. In a few seconds, right? And, yeah. I, I don't understand this, but uh, let's open up the segment here with some less biased news, I would say. Now, a story from Posse Social Media reads, Controversy Surrounding Social Media Networking Sites. Now, this is written back in 2013 by PG Hall Bills. He writes that uh, controversy within social media networking sites is not a new issue by any means. And Twitter and Facebook are the big two uh, as of 2013, I guess. They're only two of the many social networking sites, though. There are literally hundreds of sites being used globally at this time, not only as a social and business 
platform, but as a way to get breaking news out to people. He lists one pro of uh, back uh, during the Tokyo 7.3 magnitude earthquake in 2012. What happened was people from one end of the country experienced the earthquake and then they tweeted about it. And then people on the other side of the country will get that tweet as a warning of the earthquake. Oh, I see. Basically, it, it takes uh, maybe a few minutes for an earthquake to reach the entire country, maybe something like that. For example, one guy would feel the earthquake, tweet it. Another guy on the other uh, end of the country would get the tweet and then feel the earthquake. It's almost as if it was a warning. It's like um, a giant wave, you know, the wave in the stadium. Yeah. First guy starts off the wave. Hey, look, there's an earthquake. Wave continues out throughout the, the crowd or the country. Basically, yeah. The last guy says. Basically. So that's what happened with the with the Tokyo earthquake. PJ writes that there are pros and cons to the use of social networking, but no matter how much controversy people have with its use, there's no doubt that people will keep using them for this purpose. An article on MediaBistro.com by Shea Bennett. There is an infographic about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Vine, and Snapchat. On this website, it shows stats on all these social media sites. First of all, did you know that Twitter has 255 million active users who collectively send 500 million tweets each and every day? That's that's almost two tweets per person. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what are people tweeting about? I don't know. Did you know that there are 540 million monthly active users at Google Plus? Nah. I was kind of skeptical about, that about this number. I think half of that is the Google employees being forced to Active users, that means they're actively on it because technically everyone who has a Gmail account Th- that's or what has I'm a saying, YouTube account. When they, ch- when they change their terms and conditions, people who had a Google account or a Gmail account automatically signed up for Google+. Plus. Yeah, and you need that to get on YouTube, which everybody's on. So when you're active on YouTube, does that mean you're active on Google+. Plus? Yeah, that's what that's I'm thinking. That's the question. Yeah. So these numbers may be fudged. Yeah. Facebook has the most users, 1.28 billion monthly active users. Instagram, they're still counting how many users are being added onto it. It says 50 million users signed up for Instagram in the last six months. So first first half of this year. Now, you said you used to have an Instagram. Yeah, I used to have it. So did you understand the point of Instagram? Because I don't. Instagram is a self-marketing. What are you marketing? Yourself. Why would you market yourself? You want to show the world what, what you're, you're doing. doing. I mean, so does that mean there's nothing but pictures of food on it? No, a lot of it is, and a lot of it is pictures of yourself. Like uh, mirror shots and stuff like that? Yeah. After the gym. Yeah. Is that what you took? No, no. What did you take? I took I took pictures of scenery of where I was. And uh, how many people actually followed you? Uh, I don't remember. Besides yourself? Probably like <laughs> 50, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I feel like or you're fudging numbers here, yeah, man. Yeah, I am fudging numbers. <laughs> I don't remember. It's been so long. I, I don't want to go back on that. Now, the infographic actually considers YouTube as a social network, and it says 1 billion total users. 80% of its traffic is from outside the U.S. Wow. That's the interesting thing. Isn't YouTube banned in some countries? I Some videos are banned in some countries. Oh, some okay. videos are banned in our country. Yeah. For example, that James Foley thing is banned in our country. It wouldn't yeah. be banned, you know, in Africa. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, blogs are considered social networking, but I don't know what they're considering as blogs. If they're considering Zenga, then I don't know. I don't know about that. The whole infographic lists its sources at the bottom, but it, they're not actual sources. It's almost as if they're writing Google.com. Uh, well, Twitter, the Twitter um, source is the actual number. Still, you got to take this with a grain of salt. Every time I see an infographic, I, I 
I try to question what's going on because infographics aren't really for people who really like to analyze things. It's, it's just for people who like to just have something pop up and read it for two seconds. Yeah, it's just for the, the common folk. <laughs> the common folk. It's, it's not for people like us. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move along to HuffPost where there's an article posted back in April that says Google Plus isn't dead. It's just in a coma and on life support. Now, how many times have you been asked to use Google Plus by Google? I mean, every time I log in, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it says, uh, have you added people to your circles? Yeah. No, I haven't because I don't want to use this. Recommended. Now it says Google has not and probably never will announce that Google Plus will be sunsetted, which is their favorite term for being killed off. And uh, Vic Gundotra, who is part of Google, said that he'd be moving on from Google after eight years with the company. He states that he's forever in debt to the Google Plus team. This is a group of people who built social network at Google against the skepticism of so many. He added that the company will continue to invest in Google Plus. Evidence is piling up outside of Mountain View that while Google Plus isn't going to die, the idea that it will ever be a peer to Facebook or even to Twitter and Instagram is dead. And if you actually go on Google Plus, there's apparently a small but passionate group of people who are using the social network, which appeals to them with some buttons and doodads. Facebook just doesn't have. That's the reason that people are saying they're using Google+. It has certain things that Facebook and Instagram don't have. And it's still, it's hard to imagine that Google+, Plus is ever going to rival Facebook because there's so fewer people on it. I think it came kind of late in the game. So the first in the game was MySpace. Yeah. Second in the game was Facebook. And then Facebook completely knocked out MySpace. Yeah. And then Instagram and Twitter are kind of knocking out Facebook right now. And when did Google Plus come in? I don't know. Man. Somewhere between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I think. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're refusing to, to kill it off. Because it's, it's something that they made, man. They don't want to admit that they had a failure. Well, it's not, I want to say a failure. It just... It wasn't a success. Yeah, it wasn't that a big of a success. But people still use it. I, I never tried it. I mean, I, maybe I should try it and see how it's like. I don't know about that. I don't know. And Google is saying that uh, they have an incredibly talented team that will continue to build great user experience across Google+, Hangouts, and Photos. Now, the article states that there's nothing wrong with a deep-pocketed tech company throwing products and services up against a wall to see what sticks, but what they need to do is be willing to cut off their losses and trim off the fat that people don't want. Because what they've done is they've dropped other projects in order to protect Google+. If the Google Glass thing doesn't work, they would drop it. Any project that a company makes and it doesn't do that good, they should uh, drop it and use their energy and, and money on other projects. So why is Google sticking to to Google Plus so hard? Are you sure it's because they just don't want to admit that it, it didn't do so well? No, it's not just that. Maybe it's just an easier way to keep track of their employees. I've heard that when you work for Google, they force you to use Google Plus. I'm not sure if that's completely true but they probably encourage you because I don't think they can force you to do anything. Yeah. Let's move along to uh, CBS Local from Minnesota. It reads that terror groups are using social media to recruit in the Twin Cities. Now, this is one scary issue right now that's happening because uh, Minnesota is becoming a place where terrorist organizations recruit young people to fight jihad. Now, wh- what's the proper meaning of jihad? Because a lot of people think it's a holy war, but I believe that's not the actual meaning. Yeah, um... From my previous experience of researching it, from some imam said it's not just a physical war. It's like an it's internal It's just a struggle. That's yeah. what I've heard. A struggle and also an internal struggle. So where did the idea that it means holy war come into play? I think the media just used it. Uh, the, ma- the mainstream 
you know, TV outlets used it as a way to describe. Yeah. I mean, it's not wrong, but it's not yeah. the correct definition. Twin Cities has the largest population in the country of Somalis living outside East Africa. And that alone is making it an area for terrorist groups to target groups like ISIS and Al-Shabaab, which I don't know what Al-Shabaab is. Yeah, I never heard of that. It's probably another terror group. Yeah. They're preying on people who feel left out and disconnected from their country. They pretty much target, you know, those troublemakers at school or, or those who drop out of school and those who don't know a direction in life. Reg Chapman, the author of this article, is saying that ISIS is trying to recruit kids who are trying to find meaning in their, in their life. How many kids are like that in America? A big, big number. Yeah, that's a huge number. That's a scary thing. Now, Mohammed Farah is is actually running a uh, organization that is designed to keep young people away from terrorist groups or gangs. He says that the radicalization issue actually isn't done overnight. So these terrorist groups are actually uh, reaching out to people on social media and saying, hey, we're part of ISIS. You seem to be down. Uh, let's talk for a few months. And over that few months, they're recruiting you. And what they're doing is they're looking for anyone who rejects Western ideology or those who feel the American dream is not within their reach. The thing is, they don't see race. They see opportunity. And that's a scary thing. So what's the difference between this and American military recruiting you? Is there a difference? Um, <laughs> let's, let's get the feds knocking the, on our uh, door. The, the, US, the U.S. military recruiting you has more benefits. Okay. Than, uh, but don't they use the same tactics? They target the kids who feel left out. They target the kids who feel like they can't reach the American dream at the moment. No, I think uh, U.S. Army or U.S. Uh, military uses a more positive outlook. Like, but hey, let's you, be honest, who are they really targeting? Uh, people, people who don't right, have a direction. Right, people over the lower class, yeah. people who don't know what they're doing after high school or after college. And what's the difference between that and this? Is there really a difference? I, I feel it's pretty similar. It's similar in, in recruiting, but the ideology is different. Right, the ideology is different. That's scary, though how U.S. military is recruiting almost the same exact way. Now, Fair believes that parents need to monitor their child's social media activities. So if you got kids who are, you know, 16, 17, who seem like they're the outcasts or whatever it is, you got to monitor their Facebook usage or Twitter use because apparently ISIS has a Twitter or something like that and they're going on Twitter and it's so hard just to, tweeting people. If I was a parent, it'd be so hard to... Yeah. To, to manage all of I that. I mean, they're not going to go on Twitter as ISIS. They're going to go on Twitter as under a, another name, you know, as one guy of the ISIS group. I think they, I think most likely they're going to just show a lot of videos of, you know, like an infomercial. Yeah. Do you feel like you have done nothing in life? And they show a video. Don't you of think guy. the U.S. Army has videos exactly like that on TV? Yeah, they pretty much have the same <laughs> thing. And they try to recruit those who feel like... There's a specific target of recruits. Yeah. And it's pretty similar with terrorist groups and the U.S. military. I think it's like you, you want to become some part of something big. Like you, Join us. Join us. We're going to change the world like that. And one is fighting for the good, apparently, allegedly. And one is fighting for their good. I mean, if you look at it from the perspective of ISIS, they're really just trying to attain their goal. But the thing with them is they'll do anything to attain their goal, which isn't that different from the U.S. military. In the perspective of people in Africa, people in the Middle East, we are the terrorists. Yeah, it's, it's on perspective. Um, the West versus East narrative has been around for a while, like the movie 300, like Greeks versus the Persians. Everyone's a terrorist to somebody. Yeah, a another person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist and the other way around. Another person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. That's, that's how you should look at it when you're viewing stuff about ISIS, when you're viewing stuff about the U.S. military. Because a lot of people are ignorant about these issues. And it, it depends on which side you're on. So 
for those who live in the Western ideology, or if you're not on the side at all, or no, yeah, no side at all. If if it affects like your farm or, or your way of living, you're gonna see the the other side as a as an enemy. Now we're going off into a tangent here. Let's let's take a break, and when we get back, let's talk about the pros of social networking in contrast to this terrorist group using social media. Let's talk about how social media can affect people positively. You're listening to Multiple Perspectives Podcast. Like everything, there's a pro and con side. Let's start off with the pro side of social media. Uh, the 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 personal pros of social media, personal advantages, are pretty obvious. It's common sense that you can keep in touch with your friends, you can keep in touch with your uh, classmates, your family across the country or whatnot. You can talk to your classmates about what was last night's homework, stuff like that. And I've experienced the advantages most of the time with social media, but uh, I've never really seen personal disadvantages to social media personally. I've never experienced it firsthand. I've seen it on, you know, news websites and all those news media blogs and stuff like that. But personally, I've never seen anything bad happen because I use Facebook, because I use social media. Well, I experienced some bad stuff. Oh, did you? Were you you bullied (laughs) online? No, no. It's just I regretted some stuff I said online. Oh, did you? Were you mad? At the time, yeah, I was mad at the time. I was young, and well, let's talk about the pros. What what pros have you uh, experienced from social media? Oh, uh, you could get, you could get to know some people just just by chatting with them. So you're saying meeting new people online? No, not really meeting them. You can meet them in real life, then just like get and then to chat know with them, them online. Them. Why yeah. not just talk to them in person? Well, you could talk to them in person. What and kind you of sick person are you? <laughs> <laughs> and you were <laughs> and you were reinforced that uh, talking outside. Okay. To right. to reinforce what you say on. So you say like, oh, remember when we talked about this online? Yeah, yeah, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is dating in the new age, or guys. The, or the other way. I'm talking about the other way. When you talk to them online, it's like, hey, remember, oh, remember that we time talking, we, we talked we in talking, person? Yeah, in person. Yeah. That's weird, man. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, and then then you know, positive. Uh, keeping in touch with family, I think that's the biggest positive for me. Like, if your cousins all the way across the country, you can talk to them online just with the click of a button. You talk to them just like that. And now you can even video chat stuff like that. So it's almost like they're right next to you, but not exactly. Nothing will substitute the actual physical presence of someone. Let's head to Forbes for our first article here about the benefits of social media. Now, we looked very hard for, for benefits of social media. And most of the ones we found were business related. 
promotion related. It's like um, business benefits from free advertising. Is it really free advertising though? A lot of the time on Facebook, you're going to have to pay to promote your, your business. Oh, that's that's like a new thing, but you know, like if you want more likes, there's just a, to get your your face on the on the net. Yeah, but if you've been around, social networking will will help you um, create an identity for yourself in the public. So this article by Jason Demare is written uh, as the top ten benefits of social media marketing. It says that social media marketing is the next big thing. It's a temporary but powerful fad that must be taken advantage of while it's still in the spotlight. Well, he has top ten reasons why social media benefits marketing. The first is brand recognition. So if you have a new brand, you have a new... Um, we use this for the podcast. Yeah. And that's exactly what it. we use. We use Facebook pages, Twitter pages. We post our, our, our name on there and we put up a picture. And people that's what people like. They, they like to put a picture to a name. So when you're on social media, if you're Walmart, in which you don't even need promotion, you have Walmart and then you have the logo right there. And then people can connect that logo and maybe like the page post on the page, people can talk to each other. And a lot of these uh, these benefits are pretty obvious. For example, the second one breeds improved brand loyalty. There are studies that have stated that brands that engage on social media channels enjoy higher loyalty by their customers, which is pretty common sense because if you're a brand and, and you want to have good customer service, people should be able to access your customer service on social media. It's kind of like a reinforcement of what you like. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like say a brand on social media and they give me updates and Lululemon? Yeah, this this the Lululemon. <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> That's like a workout clothes brand or oh, something. Okay, yeah. like say Lululemon or whatever. Okay, you yeah. It, right? So you like Lululemon. So you, and every time you you go back on social media and you look at it, it's like that's the reason why I like this brand. Lululemon. Yeah, just reinforce it. I I don't use it personally, but you don't use Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're liking things like NBA yeah, that's technically a brand. Yeah, it is. They're always trying to promote. So when you like that NBA page, they're getting their face out there because someone who's friends with you on Facebook is going to, oh, Joe liked NBA. Oh, what's the NBA? You're going to click NBA. You're going to read through it. You might have converted someone without even knowing. Yeah. So it technically is free advertising, but starting up the advertising might cost you a price. Uh, that leads to the third uh, benefit, which is opportunities to convert people to to that brand. When you're spreading out on social media, it's like you're throwing out webs and uh, the ends of these webs may reach people and it might stick and it might not. Whatever sticks is the person you've just converted and that person might, it's almost like a pyramid scheme in a way, in a way, <laughs> not, so, exact, not so. exactly. It's, it's like when you convert one person, they have the potential to convert five people. Yeah. Out of those five people, maybe three of them will convert two people. I think it's also like just, just being exposed will allow people to convert to it. Say somebody only likes uh, vanilla ice cream, right? But if you don't put chocolate ice cream or whatever ice cream, <laughs> ice cream again in the room, they're not going to try it out. Right. If, if, you, if you have something shoved down your face so much, you're going to start to like it. For example, how many times have you heard Nicki Minaj on the radio? Yeah. You know, nobody know. likes Nicki Minaj, but once you keep <laughs> hearing it, you're going to start singing the songs <laughs> because it's constantly getting shoved down your throat. Number four writes higher conversion rates, which is pretty much the same thing as earlier. If you're not on social networking, you're not going to have the chance at uh, converting people. The fifth one is higher brand authority. Now, what does that mean exactly? It's kind of like when, when you're a new product out there and you don't have something to show to the people, it's kind of like, oh, nobody likes this. Yeah, this brand sucks. Okay. I've gotten emails from promoters on social networking that say there are studies that show 
if you go on a uh, on two rival brands and you're uh, determining which one you should use or which one you should buy, if one has a hundred likes and the other one has a thousand likes, chances are people are going to go towards a thousand likes, even if the thousand likes are fake. Yeah, or the the one with the one hundred likes is actually a better product. Yeah, and maybe they just can't afford to pay for people to actually come and like their because there's something called click farming where you can pay people on Facebook or on a third party. Um, company and they'll have people like your page. They're not fake people. They're real people, but they, they don't really, they're not interested in your brand at all. They're, they get paid to click. They get like paid button. to like things. That's so, it. and which leads to the sixth benefit, which is to increase inbound traffic. Those likes would increase traffic because the higher brand authority makes people click on to the brand that has more likes. Now let's uh, jump towards the 10th one. Improved customer insights. Now, this is the customer service thing I was just mentioning earlier. If you have a convenient way of reaching out to your customers or for customers to reach out to you, it's so much better because there are companies online. For example, uh, we use web hosting. And anytime I have a problem with the, with the server or anything, I can go on Twitter and write in, hey, there's a problem with their server. Is it down right now? And they reply within seconds saying, oh, yeah, other people are experiencing the same thing. That's in contrast to calling a 1-800 number hitting one, hitting two. <laughs> please hold. Yeah, please hold while someone is connecting to you. And uh, every 30 minutes you get, all our representatives are currently engaged with other customers. Please press one if you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much worse than going on Twitter saying, hey, I have a problem. And they reply. Wow, yeah. Yeah. They reply. They might have a team of five people, maybe even 10 people. It's like open complaints too. So it actually helps like when, when the company responds quick. It yeah, you, it might even already be on the page when you when yeah. you click on it. Someone else might have said the same thing, and then you click on the replies, and it says uh, your exact issue and the exact way to solve that issue. An article on Forbes.com by Hardeep Walia titled "How to Profit from Social Networking Stocks." So recently, you know, actually a couple was it recently? Yeah, a couple, it was, it couple was, months ago. Yeah, a couple months ago, or maybe a couple half years a year ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, Facebook became public. So Mark Zuckerberg is raking in money. Is what you're saying? Yeah, he, he's raking in money right now. Even though when Facebook released his first IPO or the IPO became a public stock, its numbers was really bad. But it it grew, it grew up. This article is pretty much trying to inform people about investing in in social media sites because it's a new it's a new uh, type of business and people might be skeptical about investing in those stocks. Well currently one of every 4 minutes spent online is spent using social media. So look at the uh, business opportunity there. If any product was used one in every 4 minutes stockholders and, and, and people like that are going to jump on buying that stock because it's going to grow exponentially within uh, the course of a year or two. Now, it says in general, advertising on digital media continues to increase its share of total advertising. The percentage is expected to rise from 22.3 in 2012 to nearly 25 this year. And those numbers seem like a small increase, but in regards to what it is, it's a pretty big increase. And by 2017, 31.1. It's small, but in, in stock terms. and in, in stock terms, it might be millions of dollars. <laughs> it might be millions of dollars. Well, that, that's how that's how the... The company get gets rich. Yeah, depending Bro. on how many shares you buy, it might yeah. be a million dollars. It's all about growing. Now, something called the social networking motif is what they're calling it. It provides a diversified approach that includes companies from across the social spectrum. There's networks like Facebook, which is up 1.29% as of today. Twitter, 
Ren Ren, I don't know what that one is. Yeah, I've never seen that. Professional enterprise networks like LinkedIn, which is also up uh, as we speak right now on Jive. User review sites like Yelp and Angie's List. Dating companies like Interactive and Jion. These stocks are expected to go up. So anyone who has money to jump on it right now is going to get a good payout. Would you do it? Well, I don't have money to, <laughs> to, to do that. Just one stock. <laughs> In order one, one to share. make money... You you need to spend money. Spend money most of the time. Most of the time. So if you have, I mean, if you have a thousand dollars, you might be able to get a payout that's uh, twice as much as what you got. So if you're investing five dollars, you might get back ten dollars. No one wants to risk a thousand dollars. What if you uh, buy, you know, like a ten thousand dollars worth of shares right now? Tomorrow, Twitter just goes down. You're screwed. Yeah, and the article states you got to be you got to be careful. It's all about risk taking when you're buying uh, stock. And especially with social media, because there's up and downs every single day. People might like Instagram today, but tomorrow they might like Pinterest. Tomorrow they might like Snapchat. The article states that uh, Facebook is saying that younger teens are leaving the website. Is it? Does that really matter to Facebook stock, though? I don't know. Um, I think people are going to continue to use Facebook, but I don't really see the growth uh, of Facebook. Grandmas use it. <laughs> I, I think Facebook is going to go to another direction. They're going to use the money that they. It's like Google, right? You know, Google started off as a search engine. Yeah. And now it's doing all the projects. Everything. Now it's yeah. doing everything. I think Facebook is going to do the same thing, or I think they're actually starting to do that. Don't they do movies and stuff now? I'm not sure, but I, I do know for a fact that they're they're branching out to other projects. Pretty soon they might do movies. And, that, and that, that's how they grow. But they started off as a social networking site. and Who it, knows what Zuckerberg's got up his sleeve, man. Yeah, whatever he's thinking about. The article states that Twitter shares rose 73% in an exciting trading debut on November 7th of last year. But now it's trading uh, slightly below that. And time will tell if Twitter will be able to live up to its high expectations. So if you had the money, would you invest in social networking? I'm, I'm going to play it out. I'm, I'm going to see. Walmart. Uh, the Walmart is expensive. Right? <laughs> I'm going to go I'm gonna go when it's cheap. And not, if, the, if the share is like, you know, 500 bucks, Man, that's that's a lot of money just to invest in one thing. So I, I think the um, well, who's buying one share? You know, uh, I could I could test out one share, one share for, for five hundred uh, bucks. No, 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 not five hundred bucks. The, the so. penny stocks, the penny shares. Yeah, or something, something easy. You know, I'm still learning. I never done it yet, but well, out of out of all the social media networks right now, what would you invest in? What would have the highest payout? Do you think? I would say Twitter and Instagram. I'm not sure if Instagram's even public right now. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. If not, they're gonna be. They could be in. Um, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Twitter, not Facebook for sure. Not Facebook. Google Plus. I'm investing in Google Plus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just diversify, man. Diversify your stock. Just be careful. But most uh, of your shares are gonna go towards uh, Twitter for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking mostly Twitter because a lot of people use it. The the president, the POTUS uses it. The so, POTUS. POTUS uses it. So. Yeah, other other presidents around the world uses it. Even the prime minister, like of, of Ukraine and all that things. So. Not the president in North Korea. Because <laughs> the internet's not allowed there. You know, the social media does not exist over there. Yeah, I don't think anything exists over there. According to everyone in North Korea, they are the highest power right now, and America's in shambles. If they did have social media, though, you know who the who has the most followers, right? Who? The, the, <laughs> was it the dictator? Kim, Kim Jong-un, right? <laughs> he would have the most it'd, followers. It'd be all fake. Top, top written articles and all that. No, if, if North Korea had access to internet and social media, there would be a huge riot. Against the against the dictator, because oh, everyone yeah. will find out exactly what's going on. Everyone would be pissed. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's exactly why they don't have internet, man. Because they're being told, this is off tangent, but whatever, we're going to spend a few minutes about North Korea. They're being told that uh, America's in shambles. They are the highest power right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, South Korea's in shambles. Russia's in shambles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like 1984. Imagine that though. If you were a North Korean citizen being told all this stuff for, for your entire life, you're actually able to get on CNN or, or CSNBC. And then you see what America's thriving, China's thriving, Russia's thriving, North Korea is not. What? We landed on the moon? Like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah or America. Imagine that times, you know, 100,000 or whatever the population of one town in North Korea is. Riot. Maybe maybe that's the next goal for the future, man. We try to get uh, social networking in North Korea, and that's how we free the people over there. Let them free themselves. Out of all those people, how many of those are too brainwashed to to not want to be freed? Yeah, how many generations has it been? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. It's tough. But there's got to be there's got to be black sheep there. Got to yeah. be black sheep. Uh, on the topic of North Korea, let's cut to break, and when we come back, let's talk about the cons of social networking because that was the easiest thing to look up online. Cons of social networking. They may be flawed, they may be uh, convoluted, but we're going to discuss them as a truth. You're listening to Multiple Perspectives Podcast. Stay Every time you ask somebody, hey, man, do you use uh, social networking? They punch you in the face. (laughs) A lot of people are going to say yes, but uh, there's a dark side. Is there a dark side? How many people are aware of this dark side, though? I think they're aware, but they don't want to admit it. Um, it, It's something subconscious. There's an article on the Huffington Post by Rebecca Hiscott. It's titled, Why Your Empty Facebook Profile is a Good Sign. A good sign for what? It's a good sign that you are okay with yourself. Is, is that what it says? No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I got from the article. Okay. Um, well, in a recent study uh, by Yeslam Al-Sagaf and Sharon Nielsen of Charles Sturt University in Australia, argued that Facebook users who felt lonely were more likely to post personal information, like their relationship status, their hobbies, than users who felt connected. Now, lonely users at the same time are less likely to share opinion-based information like religion and uh, political views because they think it's, it's not popular opinions. So they don't want people who, who look at it and say, oh, this guy's a douche. I'm not going to talk to him. Now, Al Sagaf, who is an associate professor of information technology, and Nielsen, who is the director of the quantitative consulting unit in the School of Computing and Mathematics 
published the study in Computers and Human Behavior. On the other hand, Alsengaff wrote, they shared their relationship status, address, and interests, hobbies, things, so like-minded people or those living nearby could approach them, allowing them to minimize their feeling of isolation. He's talking about lonely people on Facebook. Now, do you find that true? That the lonelier you are, the more you're sharing on Facebook. If that is true, I, I have a lot of lonely friends on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I, I say it's partially true. People want to feel connected. So they're going to say, you know, they, they want likes. The, the more likes you got, the more connected you could feel. But it doesn't really solve the problem. So they limited their subjects to 616 female Facebook users, arguing that gender would not have an influence on the results. The results showed that more than 79% of lonely users shared a variety of personal information, while less than 65% of connected users did the same. Connected users were also twice as more likely to share no personal information at all. Now, Dr. Larry Rosen, a professor of psychology at California State University, said that he does believe that if you spend a lot of time on social media and you read about how people's lives look great, then you may infer that your life sucks. But he can also see the situation where you feel depressed, you get online, you reach out to your friends, you feel less depressed, but he's not sure if they're mutually exclusive. So what's interesting is one can simultaneously alleviate symptoms of depression and loneliness in some and cause them in others. For example, uh, there was a study that found if you're looking at details of your friends' vacations, romantic milestones, and work successes on Facebook, that can cause feelings of envy, loneliness, and depression. But at the same time, actively posting on Facebook is one of the key ways to attract emotional support, promote feelings of being accepted and appreciated by others. You know, you're on Facebook, oh, I'm feeling sad. Oh, and people say, hey, yeah. what's wrong, man? Call what's, me, text I don't, me. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> then why you post it? <laughs> but yeah, I, I see that a lot. I observe that a lot. People say, I'm feeling sad, sick or whatever. You think that if you're going on Facebook, you're looking at uh, your friend's vacation in Europe, you're going to get depressed because you're not in Europe. You're looking at your friend's new relationship. You get depressed because you're alone. You're nah. looking at the fact that your friend got a job. You don't have a job. You're going to feel alone. <laughs> It, it could happen. Well, I'm not. I'm not talking to you personally. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. talking in general to the general public. Yeah, I think it's possible. People are affected by so many things online. They can go on and see a picture of a couple holding hands that their friends posted, and then cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my uh, interpersonal communications class, uh, there's a thing called uh, social comparison. Human beings will compare themselves to others. Right. That's natural. Naturally, yeah. That's it's natural. Naturally. But what, how you what you do with the analysis? is the important part. For example, if you're comparing yourself to a guy who's got millions of dollars and driving a sports car, and you go, you know what, that's a good life, but I'm happy with mine. Perfect. Yeah. Perfectly fine. But if, if, if you're going to go in the corner and cry about it, I, I, <laughs> well, I, naturally, that's fine too, but don't do it. Yeah. I don't would, do it. You could use it as a, as, a, as a fuel to working. Yeah. I like to surround goal. myself with people who are better than me, in my opinion. That makes me work harder. A yeah. lot of people like the opposite. They like to surround themselves with people who aren't as good as them. So they make themselves feel yeah, better. And then you're not going anywhere because you're constantly content with how you are. But that's a completely different issue. That goes into like human psychology and all that. Yeah. That's not social networking. But all three researches have proved that it's impossible to lump Facebook users into easy definitive categories. But a clearer picture of how and why we use the social network can eventually help contribute to better mental health for us all. So basically, Facebook is not good for your mental health. 
for most people. Yeah. Because of what you said, social comparing. Is this going to happen for the rest? Like social media is going to evolve, but wouldn't our social uh, interaction with people evolve too and how we view ourselves change too? I don't know about that. Maybe on a personal basis, not on an evolutionary basis. Okay. Because if, if you keep looking at pictures of your friends and their girlfriend going out and you feel sad about it, maybe one day you'll actually get up and do something. Yeah. That's the other side. But right now we're talking about the cons and that's how Facebook could negatively affect your intrapersonal opinions about yourself. Let's move along to uh, an article from Media Bistro again. It says that four out of five burglars use Twitter and Facebook to select victims, says survey. Now, I believe this is a little convoluted because what are they doing? Just contacting burglars and saying, oh, how do you select your victims? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, they did a, they did, um, a survey with convicted um, burglars. Okay, so just for the fact that these are convicted people, how many of them are going to lie? Well, if they're locked up already... Might as well say something. Or might as well mess up things further. (laughs) You can't always trust it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All research is like that. It says that an eye-opening 78% of burglars have said that social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and Foursquare are being used to select properties. 54% also said that placing their status and whereabouts on social networking sites was a common mistake made by homeowners. A further 74% said that Google Street View played an important role in today's home thefts. For example, you go online, oh, I'm vacationing in Europe soon. No one's going to be home. That is an open invitation. It is an open invitation. And then someone could take your name on Facebook, cross-reference it with the address book. Mm -hmm. There's your address right there. They could look on Google Street View, find out exactly who's surrounding your home, what neighbors you have, how close they are, if there is maybe a gate or something like that. Most burglaries don't happen on, on a whim. That's what people think. People just drive by and then burglarize your home. It takes a few weeks. People, uh, what do they call it? They uh, scope out the place. Yeah. And then they plan it because the average home burglary takes just over 10 minutes to commit and that only two minutes are required to break into a property with no visible security. 80% of those polled said that a simple home alarm system would prevent them from targeting a property. And one burglary, um, average of 487 pound goods. Multiply that by two, that's roughly how many dollars it is. And... That's not covered by insurance, which is... Because it, the average insurance claim is 1,200 pounds. So you could be robbed in like 1,100 pounds and still not be able to claim it. Yeah. Now, Friedland, who uh, researched as commissioned to mark UK Home Security Week 2011, polled 50 burglars in their survey, all of whom were convicted earlier this year. So they literally went up to the burglars and said, hey, how did you select your victim? Now, Richard Taylor writes, we're living in the age of digital criminal and people are taking advantage of social media to access information about would-be victims. We'll tell them even when we're going away on holidays. We will let them know that we're not in. We're inviting them to round to our house. Here's the scary thing. A lot of people on Facebook post your addresses there too. You don't even have to cross-reference it. It's already there for you. Their phone number is already there. How many how many siblings they got? Yeah. Uh, another thing is, I'll bring this into play. You know those stickers on the back of people's cars, the, the family stickers where it's like a mom, dad, daughter, dog? Yeah, yeah. Like those are apparently dangerous too. They could be used by uh, burglars that say, oh, this family has this many people. They got a dog. They don't have a dog. Yeah, I heard, I heard about that too. Obviously, it's an extreme view. Yeah. But uh, if you're literally posting on Facebook that you're not going to be home, that's an open invitation. Just just say that you're always home. <laughs> well, then that's <laughs> on social media. <laughs> Why not just block all your social media? You know that tracking thing on the, on the social media? It tells you where the GPS tracking, yeah. where you are. Yeah. That's also uh, detrimental 
And uh, burglars will use that hey, if they know you. Hey, man, you're at Starbucks right now. Shows. Oh, especially when you check in check places, in, yeah, yeah, you know, in like that. Joe was at uh, McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's. <laughs> Joe was at Chippendales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe. Hey, let's see how long he will take to. Uh, uh, he'll be there for like 30 minutes or something. I could go to his house. Well, let's break into his home and take all his money. Yeah. Next up, let's move to DailyMail.co.uk, where there's an article reading, Is Twitter Making You Stupid? This is written by uh, Fiona McRae, and uh, it involves a study where researchers ask a group of people a trick question. Now, when I read the trick question, it took me a while. Yeah, it took me a while for the for the trick question, man. I, I was wrong. So they're claiming that Twitter and Facebook may be eroding our ability to think. Researchers believe that speed, volume, and ease with which information is shared through social networking sites may be making it more difficult for us to think analytically. The warning comes from Dr. Ayad Rawan an honorary fellow at the University of Edinburgh, who said that while the popular sites may be appearing to make us smarter, any improvement in intelligence is completely superficial. Now, what they did was they asked 20 people three true questions over and over again. For example, there was a ball and a bat that cost a dollar and 10 cents. The bat cost a dollar more than the ball. And they were asked to work out how much the ball costs. Now, everyone listening right now, work that out. How, how much does the ball cost and how much does the bat cost? First off, all our answers were what? Wrong. Yeah, wrong. <laughs> we would say that the bat costs a dollar, right? Yeah, it says it's a dollar, but we're saying the ball costs 10 cents. Right. right? So, it doesn't, it doesn't work out because if, if the bat costs a dollar and the ball costs uh, 10 cents, that means the bat was actually 90 cents more than the ball. Oh. Right? It's man. confusing, right? Right? <laughs> okay. So, so the correct answer is the ball is five cents because a dollar more than five cents is a dollar and five cents. Dollar and five cents plus five cents makes a dollar and ten, which is the total cost of the bat and the ball. Man. It's confusing, right? <laughs> I can't even understand It's, it's confusing. It's confusing. Okay. But, but that's how it's worked out. Dr. Rowling gave the same questions to a second group of people. The first answered the questions alone, but then they were put in groups to see each other's responses. Now, here's what happened. People saw other people's responses, and then they changed it, even if it was wrong. Yeah. People would write down, oh, the ball costs five cents, and the bat costs a dollar and five cents. And then they would look over at their neighbor, Steve, or whatever it is. Oh, Steve wrote down a dollar and 10 cents. So that must be right. I'm going to change it to the wrong answer. The, these people did no better on the second or third question. This surprised Dr. Rollin, who said it suggests that the volunteers were simply copying the answers without putting any real thought into what they were doing. By not computing that they shouldn't rush in with their first answer but take time to think the question over, they fell into the same trap over and over and over again. Now, what I didn't like about the study was the question was pretty hard. It's a pretty hard question, Yeah, first yeah, of all. Yeah, it's a pretty hard question. Maybe if it was, um, if everybody didn't know math, so just the basic math of a bunch of kids. Yeah, and then you're also factoring the math levels of each individual being tested. So yeah. it's kind of hard. Maybe if it was like um, something simpler. I think I saw one like on TV a test to um, there was a, there was a straight line. Yeah, I saw that one. It was like two uh, equally uh, long straight lines. Yeah, and then they would ask the first group, you know, which line is longer. People would say it's the same. Yeah, and then they got in uh, people who were part of the research to say that the one line was longer than the other. Yeah, so one guy would be the test subject and everybody else would say like line A is longer than line yeah, B. Yeah. So then the guy who's the test subject, would, oh, it's actually right. longer. <laughs> yeah, it is actually longer when he originally stated that they were both equal. Right. 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 That That's a scary thing. This applies the same way to this 
because people online are, are, are assuming that someone else knows the answer. They don't have to do the work. They don't have yeah. to do the thinking. Saying some, some event happened. Someone on Facebook could say, oh, an earthquake happened, but there was no earthquake. Yeah, then right. everybody starts saying it. Yeah, everybody says, oh, did you guys feel that earthquake? And then pretty soon there's a non-existent earthquake that everyone <laughs> is talking about. <laughs> yeah. That's the same uh, situation uh, applied to Facebook there. That's kind of scary, man. Dr. Rowan has focused on Twitter and Facebook because like his study, they involve information being shared through networks of people. But previous research has blamed internet search engines such as Google for making it harder for us to remember facts. A study published before says that we are more likely to forget things that we can find them online again. For example, you're doing research and you're less likely to remember a date because then you could just Google it again, you know, birth date of George Washington. Not going to remember that because you can just Google it again. Yeah, it's, um, I think it was Henry Ford, a uh, manufacturer. He, he was asked of uh, whether he was smart or something and he said, no, no, I might not know the answer right now, but I could find people, hire people to find it for me. But right now we could do it ourselves. Why, why should I remember? If I could check it out later. Exactly. Like, like a that, definition. That's you know? the that's the thought process of most people now. I can't even, for, for the sake of anything, remember the definition of a word verbatim. Because you could just take out your phone, Google it, and there it is. And uh, people are saying that back then, we didn't have all this stuff. So people are actually remembering definitions, remembering dates, remembering facts. And I believe that's true to an extent. But it, it, the thing with people copying other people, that's definitely true. Yeah. We could get a group of 10 people to go on Facebook and say, oh, did you guys see that uh, huge plane that crashed in town? Yeah, or a big giant alien in the sky. Yeah, did you guys see that big giant spaceship in the sky? And then people who just want to fit in, you know, because they're lonely, just like the other article states, are going to say, oh, yeah, I saw, I saw it. I think I saw something. I think I saw something. They'll post a thing, and then that's going to web out again and again and again. Pretty soon in the newspaper, it's going gonna, it's gonna to say, big spaceship <laughs> flies over town. An article on newsmedical.net titled Addiction to Social Networking Leads to Sleep Deprivation, published February 18, 2012. Uh, this is done in Britain. Okay. Now, this whole article is mostly statistics, so we're just going to go through it. First of all, British people are losing sleep each night because they are addicted to social networking, according to findings from the new sleep report. It reads that in today's modern society, 72% of adults spend their time in bed before falling asleep, updating or checking their friend status updates on Facebook. There was a survey of 6,000 adults to explore the national bedtime habits. And key findings revealed we have some... Online-aholics is what they're calling these people. <laughs> Online-aholics. Tweeting, poking people, and writing on people's walls have deprived people of their sleep. Right. Seven out of 10 British people are doing that instead of going to sleep. In addition, 18% of adults send a daily nighttime tweet to their followers, and one in five people catch up on tweets from their favorite celebrities and friends in bed. On average, British people are spending 16 minutes in bed socially networking with pals, with the peak chatting time being 9.45, and they're getting about 6 hours and 21 minutes of sleep on average. Now, Dr. Michael Hastings, who is an expert in sleep patterns and body clocks, he says that from a sleep point of view, the news is not good at all as it's having a huge negative effect on people's sleep. Adults don't realize what impact using computers, mobile phones, and other gadgets before falling asleep is having on their night's sleep. Being exposed to bright light from a computer and mobile phone screens while in bed completely delays the brain and body's ability to get to sleep. As a result, people are not able to get to sleep as quickly as they should and aren't getting the required amount of sleep they need each night. So. You go to bed. Uh, this this is what I kind of 
experience from our brothers and stuff. They say, good night. All right. Good night, everybody. And you take it. <laughs> and then later I'm doing my homework and I'm done and I go to the bedroom. Everyone's on their phone. Everyone's on their phone, right? You yeah. see you see a bright light in their face yeah. and they're holding their phones up. Yeah. Now I actually sleep with my phone underneath my pillow, but I don't use it. I just use it most of the time for an alarm clock or emergency calls from someone who might need me overnight. Mm-hmm. I leave it on vibrate and uh, I don't check it before because I don't have followers. Who has followers on Instagram and stuff like that? Now people are saying that before they nod off to sleep, they're sending a message to their followers like "Good night, followers." Now is that creepy wow. to you? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. The study actually states that 51% of British adults say that the first thing they do when they wake up is check their mobile phone for, for, for new texts or emails. <laughs> <laughs> I think Americans do that too, yeah, right? These, these statistics should transfer well to the American crowd. Now, here, here's the interesting one. 20% of British people surveyed confess that they have stopped midway while lovemaking with their partner to check an incoming text message. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Corinne Sweet, a psychologist, has said that no sex, I'm texting is the new British bedtime motto. It seems like couples need to be aware it can feel insulting to come second to a text, which can result in serious problems with the relationship. That's what a text can interrupt now, a session of ravenous lovemaking. Wow, man, that's the powerful, (laughs) the addiction, the online-aholic. Right. Over a third of the nation, 35%, like to surf celebrity news websites before bed, for the latest showbiz gossip before slumbering. But do people really need to do that? Is that really necessary? Do you need to look at what, what, what the Kardashians are doing before you sleep? No. And, uh, well, do you know people who do this besides your brothers? No, I don't know what they're doing. I think they're like texting or... Pretty sure. Or Pretty on sure. Instagram or Pretty something, sure, just yeah. looking. Yeah. Well, well when, I w- when I had Instagram... That's what you did? I, I, I looked through the, the pictures. Before sleeping? Yeah, and that's why I quit too, because I, I lost some sleep. You quit because you hit rock bottom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was sleep deprived. You had to go man. to rehab. That's your rock bottom right there. That's your rock bottom. Yeah, but I, I don't know about the celebrity thing. I, I wouldn't do that. You, really... You're not looking at what Tom Cruise is up to before you fall asleep? No. <laughs> I think you're mostly uh, trying to look at what your friends and, and people you know did. Oh, let's look at what uh, uh, Steve is doing tonight. Like He's doing exactly doing the same thing as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to sleep. On my phone. Yeah. Let's move along to the most extreme form of con against social media. Now, this is from Ranker.com. It's a whole list of people who have died in relation to social media. I just want to read the first one because it, it, it's messed up. It reads, middle-aged woman seduces teenage boys with fantasy-filled profiles, then kills them off. <laughs> Ready? Here we go. Here we go. The craziest, most ridiculous social networking killer wasn't actually a killer at all. The only murders this woman committed took place in her own deranged imagination. So here's what she did. She was a 28-year-old New Zealander named Natalia Burgess. She spent months creating Facebook and Bebo profiles for fake, attractive teenage girls. She gave them very specific, very fancy names like George Williams, Becca Marie Julian, Abby Jane Zoe William, and... She seduced dozens of teen schoolboys into online relationships. Now, that wasn't it. That's not where it ended. Yeah. Natalia would then kill off the fake girls in tragic accidents or suicides using other made-up personas to break the news on Facebook. The girls' online boyfriends were traumatized and devastated. Over 40 teen boys have identified themselves as victims of her internet and mind games. First, she gave them what they thought they'd never have, and then she killed off their girlfriends. 
What, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? She, she's actually sentenced to two years in jail. But I, I don't think she should be in jail. She should be in a mental institution. Yeah, man. That's, that's intense, man. You, you got to feel sad for the 40 boys, <laughs> man. That's some emotional... But I mean, once they find out that the whole thing was fake, yeah. I think they'd be okay. They'd still be traumatized, probably. It's like they, um, that one uh, football... Oh, Matt Titeo. Yeah, yeah, Matt Titeo, yeah. right? He he no, fa- no, he found out that the girl was fake, but he kept it going because yeah, he didn't yeah. want to be embarrassed. Yeah, but what happened to the girl? Uh, she, just, she was never real. It was just some dude in Hawaii or something like no, that. No, but like, how did they figure it out? Like, did the girl accidentally die too or something? I don't know. I don't even know. The, the whole story is just convoluted just like this. Man. Maybe it was her. <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's, that's tough. Imagine man. that though. No, even, even as a pen pal, it's still devastating. Imagine uh, a 40-year-old man you know, coming up with uh, John Smith. Hey, Joe, I'm from uh, Australia. Just wanted to keep up with uh, American news. Mm-hmm. And then you guys talk for a year. You become like really good friends over on the internet. John dies. Wow. You'd be pretty devastated, right? Yeah. And then you find out John wasn't even real. It was just a <laughs> fake person. Some seven-year-old kid in the basement. Yeah, exactly. This story is is completely just uh, a huge... It, it's f***ed up. It's f***ed yeah, it's up. Plus... Up, Plus the fact that she's using someone else's identity. Not only that she's killing them off, she's using a fake identity to lure teenage schoolboys. That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the extreme, extreme view of the con of social networking. And it doesn't happen every day, but it does happen. Now, there are other ones, but we're not going to go through them because this one, it just kills it. This one kills it. Yeah. There's that story of that uh, homosexual kid who was broadcasted having uh, sexual relations with another male by his roommate. So he jumped off the bridge, I think, Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. Fact check that. And there was a girl who hung herself because she was bullied online. There are many stories just like that. And it's the extreme view of social networking cons, but it does happen. It might even happen without social networking. Yeah, it's just um, it's just a matter of question. Matter of question. And they just use social networking as a avenue for... Yeah, it's, it's almost like social networking didn't cause it, but it helped cause it. Right. (laughs) Let's take a quick music break and we'll be back to sum up social networking. We're going to sum up the pros and cons of social networking. We didn't list our uh, actual opinions flat out this episode. So what is your overall opinion of social networking? I think it's just a tool, man. It's a tool. So you're pretty much in between. Yeah, I'm in between. You're going to be libertarian about this. Yeah. So am I, because I'm not really against it and I'm not really for it because it really does help with uh, academia, really helps with keeping in touch with your family and friends. But if you use it in the sense that you're browsing Tom Cruise's activity before you go to sleep or Khloe Kardashian's activity before you go to sleep, then you're doing it wrong. You don't need that. And especially if you're a woman pretending to be girls online and then killing them off or whatever. Yeah, it's... That's not the right approach. Not the right approach. Use it with a sense of balance. Balance is the key. For example, do you really need Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Who really needs all three? President. But I don't know if it's really him doing that, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just like his PR people, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you should just really tone it down. If you have the chance to talk to someone in person, talk to one in person. Don't use the Facebook chat. Don't use the Instagram chat. Don't use the Snapchat. If you have a chance to sit down and have a meal with someone, instead of Skyping them, do that instead. But on the other hand, if you got a business, if you're in a band, if you're promoting a podcast, social networking, the free advertising. 
it might not work that well, but you know, advertising is advertising. So what, what would you have to say to the next generation? For example, your little brother, who's going to grow up within the next decade, social networking. There was never a time he was alive that people didn't socially network. Yeah, the, the new generation born today. They've been born into social they, networking. Yeah, they've been born into it. You know, I would tell them, uh, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just be careful what you say. And don't, there's other things in life more than yeah. what's, on, what's online. Well, I have a general rule, just like you, we have a general rule that on Facebook, uh, we don't really add anyone that we haven't met in person. So that completely cancels out the fact that we might bump into Natalia Burgess yeah, uh, with fake girls or whatever it is. And uh, I try to limit it for mostly school, mostly people who I can't contact with face-to-face. And that's on top of the very minimal amount of people I associate with anyways. And don't post your, your address. Don't post when you're going to <laughs> Europe or whatnot. Don't post when you're leaving town. Don't, don't tell people that you're leaving at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just say, yeah, I'll be home. But on the other hand, if you are, you know, feeling depressed and lonely, social networking might be a good Good key to to get out of it. You could post, you know, does anyone want to hang out? Yeah. Instead of having to call 8,000 people on your phone or whatever. It's not 8,000. Nobody has 8,000 people on their phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. It's, it's, social media is an avenue. You think we'll get to the point where communications will only happen over social media? Because what, what's happening now is people don't even call anymore. Yeah, yeah. They send a text out. It is convenient, but you shouldn't do it all the time. Yeah, what I figured out when I'm doing some school projects, I had to call people up. And a lot of people say, "Uh, who is this? (laughs) Why are you calling me? Why didn't you send a text? I had to prepare my voice before I started talking to you or something. Yeah. You drink a lot of uh, lemon and honey. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think it it is better. It feels more personal when you call somebody. It does, yeah. But, it's, but texting is convenient, on the other hand. If yeah, you just need to send, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. You don't need to call someone for that. Come on. Yeah, I'm leaving in Africa. You know, but if, if mom, I'm uh, planning to move to Europe, don't text that to your mom. Call her. Yeah. Or for, better yet, invite her out to dinner, then tell her you're moving to Africa. Yeah. And just, you or know. tell her you're joining ISIS. No, don't tell her that. <laughs> nah. I don't think social media will completely replace personal communication. I don't think so. Either. It's, it's innate in our DNA. It's something that we, we long for. But again... Well, think about it Think about it this way. Back when we were cavemen, we didn't have language. And look at how advanced we are now, right? Yeah. Maybe social media is the next advancement for human beings. Pretty soon, we won't even talk to each other anymore. That, that's a you lonely... Know, a, a, a president's uh, public address or a State of the Union address. Is in his room, in his bedroom. Yeah, in his bedroom <laughs> in his over pajamas. Skype. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so, man. Well, the president has done uh, uh, broadcasting from the White House just yeah. like that over Skype, over over satellite or whatever. Yeah. And that's convenient, but not as good as the president, you know, taking a plane out to SF, taking a plane out to Washington or whatever it is. Maybe we should have those who run for political office only use social media. Uh, is that, how's that going? <laughs> Everybody watch our videos. And instead Actually, of going city uh, city. people in politics have been utilizing social media for the last five years. Barack Obama's been using it. Joe Biden's kind of using it. He doesn't know technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people have been using it. Even Schwarzenegger uses it. Yeah, Schwarzenegger. That's how you reach out to another. That's how you reach out to the younger crowd, the 20-somethings. Or even the you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds that might go to their parents and say, Oh, hey, uh, this guy's got really good ideology. I saw it on a YouTube video. You should vote for him. Yeah. That's where social media lies with positive factors. The more informed people get, hopefully, people will make better decisions. Social media, use it as a way to inform people, not as a way to socialize 
predominantly. I, I use it. I use it as a way to to share information to people. Not all the time, right? Not all the time. A lot of our friends do use it. Maybe ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. I I'm against that. But you know, to each is his own. That's the whole uh, forte of multiple perspectives. Yeah. If it doesn't affect you, then uh, maybe it should be that way. If you liked any of the stories we talked about and want to do your own research, check out multipleperspectives.org. All the stories are linked there. If you'd like to email us, email contact at multipleperspectives.org or use the contact page on our website. If you want to call us, call us at 512-666-4439. That's right. Leave a message and we'll play it on the show or a a drunk call us. I don't know. We don't care. As long (laughs) as we get a message, we'll play it on the show. We encourage you, like if you have any information that's wrong or any information that we didn't know about, to inform us about it. Yeah. If we said anything wrong, correct us. That's why we're here. We want to be corrected. I, you know what I love? I love being corrected, honestly. Yeah. Like when I say something wrong and someone says, hey, that's not right. Here's the actual right information. Mm. That's a wrap. I'm your host, Kay. And I'm your co-host, Joe. And we'll see you next week. You're listening to multiple... Uh,